Welcome back. It's so good to see all of you again. Although I can't see you, you can see me. But anyway, we're ready to do something unusual. Ordinarily, I will post only one teaching per week. But I felt since the first teaching I gave you a little while ago was on my background, uh, I wanted to give you one that went a little further. It's about being a witness of who Jesus is to others. And I need to begin by telling you back in my Catholic days, I was scared to death to be a witness to anyone. I didn't know a thing about the, what was in the Word of God. I was made to memorize the mighty Word of Man called the Catechism. And if somebody didn't ask me a question that I had memorized the answer to that Catechism, I would have gone like, wonder what the answer is to that. I'd have been frightened, I'd have been scared. Another thing is, I might have had somebody say, why do you believe in God? I would have said, let me make an appointment for you to go see Father Murphy and he'll explain to you why I believe in God. I couldn't have answered it on my own because I didn't have that personal connection with God. I didn't have His Spirit within me. I had nothing but man's religion, which is powerless. It's about relationship. Jesus didn't come to bring the world another religion. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden never had a religious experience with God. He would come down before they sinned, come down in the garden and walk and talk with them, and they shared a relationship. They knew him as their father, and he knew them as his son and daughter who he had created to share a relationship with. Satan thought he'd severed that forever by sin. But Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sin. He came to restore that relationship with our Father. And that's why when the people ask him, teach us how to pray. How did he start? Our Father, which art in heaven. Prior to that time, man knew because of the sinful nature he'd taken on that he didn't feel worthy to call God Father. That relationship with the Holy God was separated by sin. And in their prayers, they would say, Oh, thou most holy, most worthy, most exalted God, but never our Father. Never. Not until Jesus came and He telling them that, told them, part of my mission is not just to take away your sins, but to restore your relationship to purity in your Father's sight. So once more He could look upon you as His children, He could bless you, He could give you His Holy Spirit that might lead you and teach you into all truth so that you could know, love, and serve Him better and share a better relationship with Him, an abundant life while you're here on earth. So forget about religion. It's man-made garbage. Every religion on the face of the earth is based upon the same thing, and that's man seeking God. Christianity is the only thing based upon God seeking man. I hope everyone understands that. <laughs> anyway, the subject that I'm speaking on is being a witness of Jesus to others. Well, after becoming born again, I hadn't realized it, but I kind of got over that fear of being a witness. And what happened to me was most amazing. I was working in a factory in 1980 here in St. Pete. <clears throat> and at that point in time, I was a six-year-old born-again Christian. Now, at the factory, I did grinding work. I was operating a grinding machine. I was the uh, rough grinder. And we would work on these long bars, 12 foot, 15 feet long of steel, waspaloid, and titanium, and we would cut them down. We would make things for like needles, we'd make, uh, with the titanium, make parts for airplanes, rods, and then they had a finish grinder who would take it to what the requirement was for that size to be. And so I was doing the rough grinding. <clears throat> Now, at that time in 1980 in Miami, <clears throat> there was an incident where a black man by the name of McDuffie was beaten to death by six 
brave police officers with their billy club. And what kind of a crime had he done to deserve getting beaten to death? He'd run a stop sign. Now they had the trial for these six brave policemen. And they were found not guilty of having done anything wrong. If that isn't a joke. Well, naturally, the black people in Miami were rioting against this. It was so unjust. Now, at the factory where I was working, I was working the midnight shift from midnight until 8 in the morning. And we would get two 15-minute breaks, like at 2 a.m. And at 4 a.m. we'd get a half-hour break to eat. And then another break before we got off, we'd have another 15 minutes. So I went to sit at the table, there's around 20 guys there, and all the talk that I heard was hatred toward black people. And I heard this, I'd love to get in my car and go down to Miami, I'd run those niggers over. Nigger this, nigger that. And I, as a born again Christian, I was getting sick at my stomach hearing this kind of stuff. It's Satan that's controlling their tongue and controlling their thoughts. They have not got a clue as to what life is really all about. But I got sick of hearing it, so I spoke up. And I said, excuse me, could I ask you all a question? And they all stopped. I said, um, suppose it was your brother that had gotten beaten to death. And then they had a trial, and the people who beat him to death were found not guilty of doing anything wrong. Don't you think the injustice of that would have made you angry to where you would have wanted to riot? I said, the black people, a lot of them think the color of their skin makes them brothers and sisters. But then there are those who are Christian and they know the truth. And the truth is, we share the same Father. He created all of us. We're all brothers and sisters, regardless of the color of our skin. I said, are any of you Christian? And they all went like, oh, he's one of those. And I said, do you know what it says in God's Word? It says that anyone who says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, they all turned away from me. No one wanted to talk to me except one young man. His name was Glenn. And I, at that time, 1980, I was 36. Glenn was 25. He looked across the table from me and he said, You sound like you believe there's a God. And I said, Well, of course there's a God, Glenn. I said, How do you think that all the stars, the planets, all came into being? That there's order in the universe and not chaos. How do you think that people around the world, just like you and I, are having discussions in different languages and they understand each other? That speaks of a supreme being. And he said, well, I don't know. I used to believe in God, but I'm not so sure I do anymore. So then he went on to tell me his story. And it turns out that Glenn, just like me, came from a Catholic background. And that he had dropped out and hadn't been anywhere in over two years. And I thought, that's just like me. So Glenn started asking me questions about God. Well, I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, Holy Spirit, help me answer his questions. Just a little simple prayer like that, privately between the Holy Spirit and I. He asked me questions about God, and the answer popped right in my head. Here's the answer to that, Glenn. Well, the next thing you know, our 15-minute break was over. Now, at 4 o'clock, we were getting a half-hour lunch break. So I told Glenn, as we were heading back to work, I said, Glenn, I'll tell you what. I said, you think of every question you've got, and when we take our lunch break at 4 o'clock, you ask me those questions, and I can promise you I'll answer every one of them for you. So as I went walking back to my grinding machine, I'm thinking, Joe, you just made a pretty brave statement for a six-year-old baby Christian. Sadly, I didn't know, still didn't know God's Word as well as I should have at six years old. I studied it a bit. I understood it far better than I had in the past, but I didn't spend regular time studying God's Word like I should have. 
Anyway, the four o'clock hour got there quick. Next thing you know, Glenn starts asking me question after question. And he would ask some pretty far out questions. Things that I'd never thought of before. And I would be thinking, Holy Spirit, what's the answer to that? He would drop the scripture in my mind that answered that question perfectly. I said, well, here's the answer to that, Glenn, and I shared it with him. Well, by the time we got done, I told Glenn, I said, how about coming with me to Christian retreat sometime? And we had the weekends off. And he said, yeah, I think I'd like that. And I said, well, how about uh, this Sunday? And he said, okay. Well, the Sunday came around. Glenn went over with me to Christian retreat. And they had a famous Lutheran minister, Harold Bresden, who had received the Holy Spirit. Uh, he'd heard about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know if it was from God or not. And he rented an apartment in the woods in the Carolinas with no phone, no television, and went fasting and asking God, if this is real and it's for me, let me know. Well, God asked him, and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Harold is mentioned in Pat Boone's book. He's the one who led Pat Boone to receiving the Holy Spirit. Well, he was there, and he gave the teaching, and then afterward they invited anybody that wanted to receive this blessing to come back into the chapel area, then went back. And not only did he get born again, but he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And Glenn was just a glow when he came out there. His whole countenance looked so so much joy and happiness and peace on his face where before he looked like he was confused. There was no more confusion. Well, Glenn started going after everybody at the factory. He dove into God's Word and he was telling people at the factory, did you know that God's Word says this? And they say, oh, shut up, Glenn. I don't want to hear that. He said, you need to hear it. It's important. It's important to your life now and it's important to your eternity. You need to know this. And they just say, shut up, Glenn. And I said, Glenn, I think I'm going to start calling you Noah. You're telling these people it's getting ready to rain. And they're saying, I don't see any clouds. Well, as it turned out, Glenn's best friend named Joe also worked at the factory. Now, Glenn and I worked the midnight shift, midnight till 8 a.m. Joe worked the day shift. But on weekends, Glenn, now being born again, would go visit his friend Joe and try to present the gospel to him. Now, Joe been a Catholic. He dropped out and hadn't been anywhere for over two years. And he'd gotten involved in evolution. He bought all these books on evolution explaining why that's the answer. There could be none other. Well, the next thing you know, the foreman of the place came up to me and he said, uh, Joe, uh, we have an opening coming up on the day shift, and if you'd like it, it's yours. To get off of that grave shift, the night shift, and get on a healthy shift like the day from 8 o'clock till 5 o'clock, everybody wanted that. And I said, yeah, I'll take it. But wouldn't you know it, my very first day on the day shift, I was working right next to Glenn's friend Joe. Now, Joe operated the finishing grinding. He would have to take everything precise to the measure that that rod needed to be. The whole length of it needed to be that same circumference where I did the rough grinding. Well, on that very first day, they had an automatic feeder that would feed the rods. You'd stack them maybe about 20 at a time and one at a time would flip them over and send them toward the grinding machine. Well, wouldn't you know it, the automatic feeder on Joe's machine broke down. And then my machine broke down so badly that they couldn't figure out how to fix it. And they said, we're going to have to take all day to get your machine back up and running. And they said, why don't you go over and feed the bars to Joe? So here I am working just opposite Joe, maybe about uh, three feet apart. Now his fine grinding machine didn't make as much noise as my rough grinder did, so we could hear each other talk without having to scream or yell, you know, over the noise of the machinery. So here I was feeding him the bars one at a time, and Joe looked at me and he said, that Glenn, 
He said, ever since he's become a Christian, he thinks he knows everything. And I said, no, Joe, nobody knows everything. I said, but Glenn knows things that are important to your life, not only here, but to your eternity. And I said, he wouldn't be much of a friend if he wasn't willing to come over and share them with you. And he says, yeah, but he won't listen to anything. He said, I'll get out an article about evolution, and I'll sit it on the table in front of him, and I'll say, Glenn, read this and see what you think of it. He said, he'll push it aside, sit his Bible in front of me, and he said, this is a lot of garbage. He said, this is the truth. This is what you need to know. And he said, he just won't listen to anything. So then, um, Joe started asking me questions. And I forgot to tell you about Joe. He was a fun guy. He was from Rockton, Massachusetts. It's a place known for famous boxers. And Joe had this thing about wanting to learn boxing. And over in Gulfport, Florida, at the casino, they had a deal where you could pay $10 a round and somebody would beat on your head. And the guys at the factory would tease him about it. And they said, Joe, I'll save you some money. I'll beat on your head for $5 a round. But anyway, then he had a macho image of himself. So anyway, Joe's asked me these really far off questions, you know, and, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I thought Glenn was bad. This guy's from Twilight Zone, you know? And so then I'd say, uh, what is the answer to that Holy Spirit? And I said, Joe, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> and then later the Holy Spirit would pop the answer. I'd say, you remember that question asked? Here's the, here's the answer to it, you know? So anyway, as we were going along, the Holy Spirit said, it's time for you to stop Joe from asking you questions. It's time for you to ask him some questions. He said, Joe has an analytical mind and he has to figure things out for himself. So he said, you need to start asking him questions. So I said, okay. So Joe started to ask me a question. I said, wait just a minute, Joe. I said, you've been asking me a whole lot of questions. I said, do you mind if I answer, ask you just a few? And he said, sure, go ahead. So I knew from Glenn what Joe's background was. So the first thing I asked him, I said, uh, do you believe in God? Do you believe that there is a God? And Joe said, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I believe that. And I said, well, how about this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And he went and he said, um, yeah, yeah, I believe that. And I said, okay, Joe, I'm going to ask you a really serious question, and I don't want you to answer me until you're sure that your answer is the truth. I said, Joe, do you love Jesus? Well, with his macho image, the idea of love, Jesus, it took him a while. But I said, I don't want you to open your mouth and tell me a lie. You make sure that the answer you give me is the truth. He said, um... Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, you could say that. So then I said, okay, Joe, what are the Ten Commandments? And I thought, wait a go, Holy Spirit. Well, you could see the look of shock on Joe's face. He looks at me and he says, oh, oh uh, come on. Uh, that was a long time ago. I mean, I was in grade school uh, when they when they taught me that. He said, uh, I I don't think I can I can name all of them. And I said, But Joe, I didn't ask you what are the thousand commandments, what are the hundred commandments. I asked you how, what are the ten commandments. Both hands, ten fingers. What are the ten commandments? And he goes, Well, yeah, give me a break. That was way back when I was in grade school. And I said, Well, how many of them can you can you name? And he said, maybe about two or three. And I said, but Joe, there's ten. You're leaving eight of them out. He said, I know, but that was a long time ago. And I said, but Joe, you just told me that you love Jesus. And he said, well, I do. And I said, oh, yeah? And I said, do you know what Jesus said? He said, what's that? I said, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I said, how are you going to keep them, Joe, if you don't even know what they are? Well, you could almost see the wheels turning in his mind as he was trying to think up an answer for that. He came back with this. He said, well, really, 
He said, weren't the Ten Commandments just words written on blocks of stone to show what you'd have to do to be pleasing to God? Well, I thought about it for a moment, and then I looked at him and I said, Joe, that's a pretty good answer. Words written on blocks of stone to show what you'd have to do to be pleasing in God's sight. I said, I like that answer. I said, that's a good Old Testament definition of the Ten Commandments. And he was just beaming. And I said, but I got good news for you, Joe. I said, God said, I will make a new covenant with my people. And I will write my commands on the hearts of my people and their sins I'll remember no more. And I said, Joe, wouldn't it be better to have God write His commandments on your heart than having them just be words written on a block of stone? I said, that way you wouldn't have to worry about memorizing them. They're written right there on your heart. Whenever you're being tempted to break one of them, the Holy Spirit will let you see which one you're tempted to break. And at that point, all you need to do is use your free will to decide, do I love Jesus or am I going to let the lust of my flesh take control? Joe says, yeah, yeah, I like that. That makes that makes sense. And I said, how about coming over to Christian Retreat with me someday? And he said, yeah, I, I think I'd like to do that. And I said, when? And he said, anytime. And I said, okay, how about this Sunday? He said, all right. So Joe came over with me, went back, and they prayed for him. And he, too, got born again and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Five. Jen and, I mean, Joe and, and Glenn were just setting that place on fire. They were both going around evangelizing. And uh, so one day we were on our lunch break, and the foreman, an Irish guy by the name of Jack, who came from a Catholic background, got to mocking Joe. And he said to Joe, I suppose now that you're a Christian, you have to go to church every Sunday. And Joe went to answer him, and I said, excuse me, Joe, I said, do you mind if I answer that? He said, go right ahead. So I looked at Jack and I said, well, Jack, I'll tell you what. I said, back in my days when I was a Catholic, I was taught that I really had go to church every Sunday, that it was my duty, and if I missed one, God was going to be so angry with me, and nothing was going to go right until I ran to the confession. And I said, but now that I'm a Christian, I've got news for you. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I'm not under the law. I said, as a matter of fact, I don't have to go to church on Easter or Christmas. How do you like that? And all the guys there hearing that were in shock. They just looked at me like, what kind of a Christian are you? And I said, now I go to church not because it's my duty to God, but it's because it's my opportunity. It's my opportunity to show God I love Him. It's my opportunity to grow in knowledge that I might better serve Him and have a closer relationship with Him. And I said, I wouldn't think of missing on Christmas or on Easter because I know what that means to my life and to my eternity. I don't go as a duty. I go to show God that I love Him and that I'm here to serve Him. Well, that shut that up. What happened was, this is a beautiful part of the story, is the miracle I experienced. The uh, foreman, as I say, was Irish Catholic. The man running the place was Italian Catholic. So one day I was working on an order and used a micrometer to check the diameter of the rod you're working on. Well, sometimes when you see what the order calls for, you vision it in your mind when you're reading the micrometer and you'll get the wrong reading. Well, that's what had happened. Out of about 300 rod order, I put 10 of them through and I had them at the wrong size. I'd taken off a little more than I was supposed to. They were close to what the finish size, finishing size was supposed to be. So Jack came around checking. He went from person to person to checking their order. So he puts his micrometer on. And then he went over and looked at the sheet that gave the uh, requirements of the order. 
And he came up to me and he said, here, I want you to put your mic on this rod and tell me what kind of reading you get. And I read it and I said, oh my goodness. I said, <laughs> I was thinking that and I saw it, you know, and I see where I made a mistake. Well, I hadn't ruined the order. There was still room to take, you know, more off. But he said to me, wait here. And then he went in, came back about five minutes after that, and he came up to me and he says, now I'd been working there at this point about uh, a year and three months or six months. Anyway, every three months they'd give me a 25 cent an hour raise and told me what a good job I was doing. Well, he comes up to me and he says, from now on you're no longer on the grinding machine. And he said, follow me. So he takes me into the back part of the factory and in the back part of the factory they had these furnaces and they would glow bright orange. It was so hot. They would heat up to temperatures of uh, 3,000, 4,000 degrees. And they would put the coils of steel, wasp alloy, and titanium, they put those coils inside the furnaces and bake them for like a, sometimes six hours, eight hours, you know, however required to make them soft and moldable and they'd have them on rollers so that you could roll them off and then they would stretch them and then snap them and make those 12 foot, 15 foot length rods that we had to work on. But in the meantime, it came in as a coil. So they put them inside these furnaces with extremely high temperatures. So he said, from now on, you're working back here. And then he threw me a pair of gloves and he said, here, wear these. He had me standing beside the furnace. They had a chain pulley for the metal door. And he said, I'm going to go and get the forklift. And he said, I want you to put these gloves on. And when I bring the forklift and bring it up to the furnace, I want you to open the door, reach in, and pull the uh, coil off of the rollers onto the prongs of the forklift. Well, I was very naive. I'd never done factory work before in my life. And as it turns out, he was supposed to have given me gloves that were asbestos lined. But the gloves he gave me were like 88 cent pair of Kmart gardening gloves. They were made strictly out of cotton. It was just white cotton gloves. So he pulls up with the forklift, got the prongs in line with just underneath the door to the furnace. And he said, okay, open the furnace and pull the coil out. So I opened the furnace real quick, hooked it so it would stay open. And then as I reached my hands to get hold of that it was glowing bright orange, this this uh, coil, and was going to pull it across the rollers. As I reached my hands in, I heard a voice say out loud, pull it hard and fast. It was an order. So I got it and I pulled it as fast as I could. And as I was pulling on it, I could see smoke rising from both of my hands. And I pulled it out and got it on the prongs of the forklift. And when I went to lift my hands off, it was almost like they had syrup on them. They were almost stuck. I had prime hands up like that, you know. At that point, Jack jumped off the forklift and came up to me and he said, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I was supposed to give you asbestos line gloves. And he said, I hope your hands aren't burnt too badly. Well, I opened my hands and I looked at the palms of my hands. And this is the truth. If I lied to you, God couldn't use me. I'm not lying. I, I, my whole life, my integrity has been important to me. I'm not about to say it one lie to you. But what I'm telling you actually happened. It was a miracle. I opened up and looked at the palms of my hand. And believe it or not, for two inches on both hands, like that, right in the middle of my palm, there was absolutely no material. There was nothing. You could see the white of the palm of my hand. And off to the side, there were burnt, curled back threads from those gloves. But where there had been cloth, it had evaporated. It just went up in that smoke. And on both hands, two inches wide, two inches wide, like that, on both hands, when I looked, my palms were as good as they are right now. Not harmed by the, by the heat of that coil, 4,000 degrees. So we looked, and, and I see that, and I looked at him, and I said, no, my hands are all right, but these gloves are pretty much shot. And at that, his mouth popped open, and he almost ran away from me. And then after that, I knew I had him. 
because after that, during the course of the rest of that day, uh, I would see him come walking my way. And when he did, I would see him and I'd wave to him and I'd say, Hey Mac, how you doing? You know, and wave like that. And the minute he saw me waving, he would just turn and <laughs> go the opposite way, almost running, <laughs> walking as fast as he could to get away from me. He didn't want any part of it. He wouldn't be anywhere near me after that. So that was an amazing uh, miracle. You know, you can't go wrong when you're being used by God. There's nothing to fear. Well, I wanted to tell you briefly about two other incidents that happened. One, there was a young man that I was working, I, I worked at Kmart in the appliance department. There was this young man I was working with, he was in receiving, and he and I became friends. And um, his name, I won't use people's real name because I didn't get their permission. But um, anyway, his name, let's call him Don. But it turns out Don, uh, his mother, had given him up as a baby to be raised by his aunt, her sister. Her sister, who happened to be a witch, and had over 1,500 people in her coven. So he grew up his entire life in that atmosphere. And he'd seen horrible things that children shouldn't have to see. But his knowledge of God was very little. But one day, he and I got to talking, and the Holy Spirit just prompted me to check with him about God. He told me his background. He said, I don't know if I even believe in God. All I've known all my life is Satan. So, as it turns out, before that day was over, I led him in the sinner's prayer, and he became born again. Now, Don rented this apartment, and midnight of that same day that he'd gotten born again, I got a call from him, midnight, woke me up. He said, Joe, I'm having a terrible time demons are trying to attack me. And he described them. They were the most grotesque looking creatures. And he said, they're standing off in the corner of the room and they're screaming at me. They're saying, you think you gave your life to Jesus? Tonight when you fall asleep, we're going to kill you. And he said, then they zoom and get right up in his face and yell at him, we're going to kill you when you fall asleep. He said, I'm afraid to go to sleep. Well, I'm thinking there's something wrong here. And I said, well, Don, you, you don't need to fear them. You're born again. You gave your heart to Jesus. They need to fear you. And he said, I know that, and I've tried to rebuke them, but they keep coming back. They won't leave me alone. Well, I asked the Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, give me discernment to know what's going on here. So then I asked Don, he told me that he'd gotten rid of all the satanic brochures and everything that his aunt had left him with. He'd thrown them in the trash. And I said, Don, is there anything, anything at all left that you didn't get rid of that your aunt gave you? And he said, well, there is this Ouija board. He said, she bought it for me. She paid $20. He said, Joe, it's a beautiful work of art. It has such colors and paintings on it. He said, I couldn't quite bring myself to throwing it away. I said, well, there's your problem, Don. As long as you hang on to that, you're giving Satan permission to attack you. I said, you need to get rid of that, John. Throw it in the garbage. So then he said, I think what I'll do is set it on fire. I said, well, that's even a better idea. So he went outside, he put it in a metal wastebasket, went outside the apartment, and then he used almost a whole box of matches trying to get it to burn, and it wouldn't catch on fire. So I waited on the phone, and a few minutes went by, and he came back, and he said, Joe, he said, it's amazing, I haven't been able to get it to burn. 
He said, I've struck one match after another trying to get it to catch on fire and it would not burn. And I'm thinking, whoa. Well, it turned out Don was a smoker. He said, what I did do is I realized I had some uh, cigarette lighter fluid in a can and I poured that all over it and then I lit the match and he said, Joe, it went up in flames like you wouldn't believe. And I said, great. I said, now you go on and get a good night's rest and I'll see you in the morning. Well, that was on a Saturday night. So Sunday, I got a call from him in the afternoon. There was a Christian church that was about three blocks away from where he lived and he went to church there that morning. He said, I passed it many times. I knew what time they had their service. I got dressed and I went to that church for service. Now, Kmart's cheap and they didn't pay good money. You do five people's work and barely get paid what you should be paid for one person. So he didn't get a large paycheck. And it turned out Don had $10 left to last him until the next payday. And he was going to use that money to catch the bus to and from work because he lived about four miles from where he worked. And he worked in unloading things and receiving. So it was hard physical work. Well, he said he went into this church to check out what a Christian service was like. He said he enjoyed it, but he said they surprised him. They took up a collection and they began to pass the basket. He looked in his wallet and the only thing he had left to his name was a $10 bill. And he said he was debating with himself, should I put this in? I mean, if I do, I'm going to have to walk to and from work for a week before I get paid again. And he said, then I realized what all God had done for me, setting me free. And I couldn't help but put it in. He said, when they came by with that basket, I just took it out and dropped it in and never gave it another thought. And then he said to me, all the way home, Satan was pestering me. You fool. You put in your last $10 and now you're going to have to work hard. You can't even buy lunch. You're going to have to walk to and from work every day for a week. You're stupid giving that money away. They didn't need that money. You needed it. And he said, I told him, shut up, Satan. I don't want to hear a thing you have to say. And he said, Joe, you're not going to believe this. As I was walking along, now Don told me that he was taught just as I was taught, to don't look like a sad sack. Don't walk having your head hung down, you know, like, oh, woe is me. But to walk looking straight ahead. Walk like you own the place, you know. Have some respect, some dignity. So he was taught to walk like that, looking straight ahead. And he said, very seldom would I ever look down. But I was, as I was walking back to my apartment, something told me, look down. And when I did, I saw something <clears throat> off to the side of the sidewalk that was waving in the grass as the breeze blew. And he said, when I got up to it, I bent down to see what it was. And he said, Joe, you're not going to believe this. It was a $20 bill. That speaks volumes. It's amazing. And it's true. That's the way God does things. But people don't always want to give them credit. They'll say, well, wasn't I lucky? Luck had nothing to do with it. Especially not if you're serving God. So there is uh, one other story I'd like to tell you about. And that was about, I had the blessing of getting to work for two years at a church called Solid Rock. The pastor let me do the first Sunday evening teaching each month. And then he asked me to teach. They had a program on how to get off of drugs and alcohol. That they, most of the people, the members of the church were people wanting to get off drugs and alcohol. That was their clients. And so uh, <clears throat> I had this one young man and he liked the teachings that I was sharing on Sunday evenings. And he told his mother and father, he said, you got to come and hear this guy teach. He says things that are so important. You really need to hear it. So his mother and father came with him one Sunday evening after service was over. Uh, I think pastor's wife had a birthday, so they had a birthday cake and had everybody come back to enjoy that cake. So 
his parents sat down alongside my wife and I, introduced him, we got to talking, and we'll call his father John. Well, uh, John said, I liked uh, what you had to say tonight. You know, I've never heard teaching like that before. It was really good. And so that was the extent of it. We exchanged phone numbers. We said, we'll have to get together sometime. Your wife and you and my wife and I will go out to dinner or whatever. We'll get together sometime. Well, it wasn't long after that that <laughs> I'm getting midnight. Why is it always been at midnight? I got a call. And it was from John. And he said, Joe, I'm sitting here with a loaded 38 caliber revolver in my lap. And as soon as I finish talking with you, I'm going to blow my brains out. He said, my wife left me. She ran off with an ex-con and left me. And they had two children. They had a boy in his 20s, that's who was going to the, get off the drugs and alcohol. Then he had a daughter who was only about, I think, eight or nine years old at the time. They'd been married for quite some time. He said, my wife meant the world to me and I can't go on living without her. So he said, I just called to tell you this. Well, we all know better. He was calling asking for help. But he said, when I hang up, I'm going to blow my head off. And I asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. He got me to be angry and to be bold. And I shouted to him on the phone and I said, You're not going to do any such thing. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. But we had a long discussion for about an hour. And by the time we got done, he became born again. And I've got to tell you, this man immediately pre began producing more fruit than I've ever seen anyone who was born again produce so soon, so quickly. He was fully and completely submitted to God and the guidance of His Holy Spirit. He helped counsel a neighbor who was going through a divorce. Uh, he helped feed uh, the hungry that were at this mission. He would go around to different places and get them to donate food and then take it to them. The man just spent his life producing fruit. And that's a good thing because he died about two years ago. He was in a brand new building that they built for us senior citizens on low income. And he moved to it and it was really spectacular, beautiful place, great location. But they bought their drywall from China. And it had so much mildew in it that it got into his lungs and destroyed him. Just took him out in about a year's time. But I'm so blessed that God was able to use me in these people's lives. And what I learned from this is that you don't need to know Scripture and quote it as if you're the one who wrote it. What you need is to love your brother as yourself, to love your brother as Jesus loves you, and then to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and use you. And then the Scriptures that you need will fall into your mind. During these witnessing scriptures that I knew I hadn't spent time studying came into my mind and they were the perfect answer to the question that I'd been asked. So I found out it's just a matter of submitting to God. You're His servant. And if you love your brother as yourself, wouldn't you want to be saved from the fires of hell? Now I'll conclude by sharing one last thing with you, and this is interesting. Several years ago, I was in a computer club. I'm so computer illiterate, and I was trying to learn about computers. And one of the members of that club was a retired um, Chicago police officer. He spent his entire career on the police force, and in the course of working in that line of work, you run across a lot of 
horrific happenings in people's lives. And it can take a toll on you and it can get you wondering how could a God of love allow people to go through these kind of times? Although basically we bring it on ourselves by listening to Satan instead of God. But he'd gotten to the point where, you know, you're not going to believe this, but uh, this guy <laughs> was a Catholic, <laughs> the same as I had been. So I was trying to witness to him by the internet. He would come down here for the summer, he and his wife would uh, vacation over in Sarasota. And uh, the rest of the time he'd be back in Chicago in their home there spending it with the family and friends. So I'm witnessing to him via the internet about Jesus and about his need to give his heart to Jesus and not to the label Catholic. Well, he wasn't interested in listening. And I got a response from him. He said, listen, Joe, he said, if you want to email me, if, if you can't find something else to talk about, talk about the, the rays, the bucks, fishing, anything but this Jesus of yours, then don't bother emailing me anymore. He said, I'm not trying to get you to believe my beliefs, and you shouldn't be trying to get me to believe your beliefs. So if you can't talk to me about something besides Jesus, I don't want to hear from you again. Well, that was kind of curt and to the point, and it hurt. Well, of course, I went to bed praying for him, and I said, Lord, please send somebody into this man's life that he'll listen to. He's not listening to me, but please send somebody that he'll receive the truth from. Well, wouldn't you know it, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning and the Holy Spirit was dictating to me the words to this beautiful and powerful song. And it was for my friend and for others like him. He's not the only one that feels that way. There's many that are confused and lost and their religion has left them empty, like this man's religion had done. But the Holy Spirit gave me this beautiful psalm, and I wrote down the words as I heard him dictating to me. And I'd like to share it with you now. And believe it or not, I sent it to him. I sent it to him in boldness. What kind of a friend are you if you just sit by and let a man go to hell? That's not what we put on earth for. But anyway, I'd like to share with you now, the name of this is called, All the Good I've Done. You see, he told me that he didn't worry about having to face Jesus on the Day of Judgment. His Catholic religion had told him his good works count. And he said, all I need to do is say, hey God, look, you know, I haven't been all bad, what about the good things I've done? And that should be enough to get me inside of heaven. He didn't need Jesus. He didn't need the blood of Jesus. He needed his good works. And I tried to explain to him that before a holy God, our good works are like a pile of dung. They couldn't quite comprehend that. They had him so sold on the value of his good works. And no clue as to the blood of Jesus. So anyway, here's the beautiful song that the Holy Spirit gave me, and I hope you'll enjoy it, and feel free to share it with others that you feel it might benefit. Look at all the good I've done, the proud of heart will say. Why should I need a Savior when I face the judgment day? Look at all the good I've done, it makes me a righteous man. I shall have no fears or worries when before God's throne I stand. Then one dreadful morning, the judgment day is here. Will good deeds be sufficient for those who about Jesus would not hear? Look at all the good I've done, the sinner proudly boast. All sins uncovered, they stand alone. 
before the Lord of hosts. Look at all the good I've done, though I am full of sin. The good I've done should be enough to allow me to come in. Then Father God will answer, every word rings loud and true. Where is my Son, your Savior? He's not standing next to you. The sinner says, I'm guilty of the sins I've done. I can't deny this true. But what about the good I've done? Doesn't that speak love to you? With love I sent my Son to save you from your sins. He is the truth, the life, the way. Yet when my Holy Spirit sought you to receive Him, you cursed and yelled, Go away. Lord, I know about this Jesus. Many told me He's the way. But what about the good I've done? Have you nothing more to say? Then Father God speaks like thunder, with a frown upon His face. Depart from me, worker of iniquity. Depart this holy place. Sinner, what about the good you've done as you proudly strut your stuff? When you stand before the throne of God, you will find it's not enough. So I'd like to leave you with that, and I thank you again for tuning in to listen to this week's teaching. I hope you'll come back for more next Wednesday. And we have many more things to cover. We'll be covering things like what it means to be made in the image of God. I'll be talking to you about my book, uh, Testimony of a Miracle Man, how God's healed me of two different forms of cancer, of diabetes and of kidney failure, and then the other things that are going on in my life right now. Whenever you see me smiling, alive, and happy, it's a gift from God that I'm here because technically I'm supposed to be dead. I outlived four different death threats from doctors who told me that without their chemo, I would die, that putting my faith in God was foolish. That's been since 2013. Well, I'm happy to report that you can't go wrong putting your faith in God. That's what it's for, and His love for us is perfect. So I leave you with that, and I hope and pray that you've been blessed by this teaching, and that you'll come back to see us again and again as we share more. God bless.